The reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 to verse 26. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations like a drop in a, in a bucket, they are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, and he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, Not one of them is missing. Let's uh, let's pray together before we come to God's word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you're the God who speaks. And we ask now that as we look at this passage from Isaiah, you speak to our hearts for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. It's lovely to hear a last from Burnley speak as a man who used to live in Preston. Isaiah 40 is a wonderful passage that we saw last week. A passage spoken by God to comfort his people. And this week we're seeing a comparison game. I don't know if you enjoy comparison shopping. It's very easy these days, they tell me, on internet websites. You can compare your gas price, your phone, uh, mobile phone contract. But the one person who does cause me to go temporarily insane is the irritating bloke on the Go Compare advert. I don't know who thought he was a good idea. But we are into comparisons, aren't we? And the people of Isaiah's day, the people who Isaiah was writing to, are in danger of comparing God, their God, to the God of the world around them. Uh, The things that the Babylonians worshipped. 
So you might remember from last week that Isaiah is written to a people who are just about to be taken off into exile in Babylon, the nation of Judah, all that's left of God's people in the Old Testament. And it was going to be the natural thing for them to do, to, to look at the, the city around them. Babylon was a, a superpower of the day, a city of glittering skyscrapers and stunning wealth, of huge temples and hanging sky gardens. What, what could the little old god of tiny Judah do for his people in a place like this? What was the point of remaining faithful to an unseen god of the Bible compared to all the shiny deities of Babylon? The towering gold statues that brashly declared humanity's success and said they'd give you wealth if you came to worship at them. I guess it's the same issue that we face today. Is the God of the Bible worth trusting in the face of the gods of the world around us? When you compare him, should we stick with him? Because the New Testament says that Christians live in exile. Oh, we're citizens of heaven, living in a culture that doesn't just fail to take our God seriously, but finds him laughable. And so last week we saw God promise to come and and rescue his people in compassion. And this week the question is, can he pull it off? Is he powerful enough to do it? It's a question that God responds to by asking a question of his own. It came in verse 18 of our Bible reading. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? He asks the same question in verse 25. To whom will you compare me? And in between, he gives his people a whole set of questions to which the answer to everyone is no one or God. So so here's the first thing he says. Look at the scale of the Lord. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Every ocean, sea, lake, river, just nestling in the palm of his hand. The sky fitting between his his little finger and his thumb. The world's soil in his carrier bag. Every mountain sitting on his kitchen scales. You sit in time and space, says the Lord. I created time and space. More than that, how do you know anything? Verse 13 who, who could fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Have you given me any advice lately, says God? Have you taught me a thing or two about running the universe? Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. It's not that... He's saying that people are insignificant. They're just infinitely smaller than the Lord is. You see, so often we think we've got the right to decide whether we follow this God or not, to to weigh up the validity of our creator. No, says Isaiah, he's the one weighing us up. We think we rule our lives, but actually we can't control anything in our world. Certainly this morning in our household, we couldn't even control a four-year-old boy. And last week, we discovered once again we can't control the weather. Um, I do enjoy a bit of snow. I don't know if you're a snow romantic. Though last week did seem to be partially more of a media storm than a meteorological storm. But we only needed a couple of inches, didn't we, across London. And rail lines get shut. Businesses close down. Schedules are abandoned. Our very important plans have to be shelved. A bit of 
frozen water and the wheels comes off the bus of London life. It's crazy, isn't it, to think we manage our circumstances. But that's the illusion we live by most of the time. And most mad of all, maybe, is the idea we can manage God. Twist his arm. That's what verse 16 is about. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. In other words, says the Lord, you could burn every tree in the country. You could slaughter every horse in Surrey and offer it to me, and you'd be wasting your time. That there's no religious effort that's going to convince me. No, no, this God is the one before whom all nations are as nothing, regarded by him as worthless, less than nothing. See, we have such a high view of ourselves as human beings. But, but for God, it's not that he doesn't care about people. When we saw him last week, he came as a, a tender shepherd, one who carried his lambs close to his heart. No, the Lord cares for his people very much. The problem, he says, is you've just got the wrong perspective on yourself. Dare I say this in the, the chapel of Parliament. Compared to him, we're just not that important. Compared to him, nothing is that important. You've got to see God as God. There's no one like him. He is beyond our control or our full comprehension. That that doesn't stop people trying to control him, though, because the second thing Isaiah talks about is the stupidity of idolatry. Did you see that down in verse 18? With whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions children silver chains for it. And they had some lovely idols in Babylon, some beautiful statues. They looked all shiny on the outside, but in the end it was just a lump of metal. But don't worry if you're too poor, if the expenses situation is tough, you know it's okay, you can get wood, according to verse 20. As long as you get some that won't rot, and you ensure that when you build your God, you get someone who can build a flat bottom for it, so he doesn't topple over. It would be comedy, wouldn't it? Believing that God could be created by the hands of people. If today, all over the world, people aren't in fear and superstition, bowing before statues, leaving food they can ill afford in front of gods who do nothing for them, enslaving themselves to things created by men. Uh, Of course, in our our culture, idolatry tends not to have a a religious label in in the estate where I live. It's filled with folk who spend most of their weekends polishing their car or redecorating their house, believing that those things will give them the contentment that they're looking for rather than the living God. But but probably the the biggest idolatry that humanity struggles with is the idol of self, our stubborn belief as human beings that really we can sort it out. That, that we should be worshipped as humanity. That if we just pile enough time or, or energy into our latest idea or our latest philosophy, it really will make the world a better place. And yet history declares that all our efforts to run the world with our own version of God or with no God at all are an utter failure. All man's idols topple sooner or later. They're not the sovereign Lord. Because our passage this morning ends by showing us the sovereignty of the Lord. You see, God's people should have known better. He asked them in verse 21, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? 
Have you not understood since the earth was founded? And the answer to each of those questions is yes, yes, yes. That they did know. They did know that God ruled all people. They had seen it in their history. God's people in the Old Testament had been rescued by him in the book of Exodus. He'd made the king of Egypt, the most powerful king of the day, look like a total wimp. More recently, even in Isaiah, God's rescued them from the superpower of Syria by putting to death 185,000 troops overnight. They should have known how great their God was. That he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That he rules over all things. That according to verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And that's what history should teach us, shouldn't it? Every dictator, every empire rises and falls. The Assyrians they feared. The Babylonians they were just about to be taken into exile by. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Third Reich, communism. Come, terrified human beings, and gone. What's happened to all the world's most powerful men? They've died. And so in verse 25, when God asks, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One, the answer is, no one. God suggests a a little practical exercise in verse 26. to, To lift your eyes up and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Apparently we don't even know where all the stars are. I read about a a schoolgirl recently who accidentally discovered 22 new stars during her school science project. Look up at the clear night sky, says the Lord, and ask yourself, how much influence do you have over what you're seeing? So as I finish, let me ask you, do you believe in a God like this? Is this true, what God says about himself? That there's no measuring him? That what he says in verses 12 to 17, you you can't stick him in a box when he performs for us as we want. That there's no comparing him. So, So it's just stupid to think that any created thing or person can give us what only God can. That he has no equals. So there's no point in going anywhere else in the most desperate need. You see, the danger for the first readers of Isaiah, the exiles in Babylon, was that they looked at the world through Babylonian spectacles. And all they could see was the wealth of the pagan empire around them. It was so tangible, so real, so powerful. And God says to them, it's okay. I made all that. I rule all that. I am so much bigger than all that. I'm more powerful than the most powerful ruler you've heard of. And I guess the danger for us is much the same. We look at the world through the world's spectacles. It's why advertising works, rather than looking at the world through God's word. And the amazing thing is that as we look at the world through God's word, we see that this all-powerful creator has made himself known to us, personally, intimately. Because Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13 is, is quoted twice in the New Testament to talk about the plans of God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
In other words, this incomparably powerful God has drawn close. The one who created all things has come to his creatures. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is outside space and time has entered into space and time so we might know him. In Jesus, the one who weighs up nations in his scales takes on flesh so we might not just see him but touch him. And that all-powerful God then uses his power to order history so that his son goes to a cross, so that he dies in our place, so that he could offer his perfect, good, powerful life in place of our weak, sinful, wretched lives. And his power is finally demonstrated as he raises his son from the dead, And declares that the sovereign Lord who we've ignored and we've rejected is for us. You see, the reason we should trust him is not just that he has incomparable power. But that power has been used for his people. And next week as we finish this great chapter, we'll see that even though we are like grasshoppers, this incomparably powerful God cares for each of us personally.